we're going to begin today um, in Matthew chapter 13. We're going to bounce around a lot because there's a theme that carries through the whole gospel. So we're going to bounce a lot. Um, And most, if not all, of your scripture are on that note guide. So if that helps you, so you can go back again. But we're going to start in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 through 46. This is the parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl. Um, which we've kind of alluded to before, but we haven't spent much time, so I want to go back. Um, I'm actually going to read it and change all the he's to she's, because we are she's. (laughs) And the parable is, it's a story, and we can change it for us. So I'm going to read it, beginning verse 44. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a woman found it, she hid it again, and then in her joy went and sold all she had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When she found one of great value, she went away and sold everything she had and bought it. So in both of these parables, the, the person finds something of great value, right? First it's a treasure, then it's a pearl. Um, and in both cases, it's the best, right? Like this treasure, there's nothing like it. The pearl is the most valuable pearl. Like these are not just one of a few, like she found a good shop along the way that had a nice selection. Like she found the best pearl, the most expensive pearl, the most perfect pearl. Um, And in both cases, she sells everything she has to have it. Both of these cases, the treasure and the pearl, they're outside of this woman's reach. She does not have the means to do it and keep what she has. The only way she can have these things is to give up everything else to have them, and she does. Um, I think it's interesting that she she doesn't sell some of her stuff or like consider what she could what she might have that she could trade for it she doesn't take time to save up money she says this i need to have it now and i will sell everything today so that i can get my hands on that treasure and that's what i want us to talk about today um i want to talk about trading it all in giving it all up the sacrifice the sacrifice of being a disciple is oftentimes tremendous um many of you know it you're you have sacrificed you give up things um and i just am praying that god's word today encourages you because sacrifice is hard um the life and walk of a disciple our lives they are absolutely blessed beyond measure right the world cannot match what God can give us. Like The blessing is so real and so great and beyond everything else. The treasure is amazing. But oftentimes the sacrifice to get the treasure is painful. Um, I want us to now flip. There's another story that's similar um, in Matthew chapter 19. <clears throat> this story is the story of the rich young man who is coming to Jesus saying, what What do I need to do? What do I need to do to get... Um, he says, what do I need to do to enter life, for eternal life? And Jesus tells him, follow all the commandments. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I got that. What else? And Jesus tells him, like, well, do this one, do this one. Yeah, yeah, I got that. What else? And then finally Jesus says in um, verse 20... 
21, Jesus says, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Um, When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. I think these stories put that story next to the woman who finds a treasure in the field, and they're, they're pretty similar. In both cases, there's a treasure right before their eyes. The woman sees the treasure in the field, goes and sells everything she has. The man's looking at Jesus, the treasure, the treasure in heaven. And he goes away and goes, I don't know. I don't know if I can give up what I have. Um, there's just a couple of things that stand out to me is that their emotions are different. The woman goes in joy. If you look at that verse again, um, when a woman found it, she hid it again, and then in her joy, went and sold everything she had. Whereas the rich man, he walks away sad. And I think the difference there is that he's counting the loss. He's looking at his wealth. He's looking at, I think, what that wealth gives him, what that wealth means in his life, which is, I'm sure, standing and respect and comfort. Like, that wealth has meaning for his life. And he is looking at the loss. I just think, no doubt, that woman who found the treasure in the field, she had wealth, too. She had enough to sell and buy land. So in that story, she's a wealthy woman, too. But her eyes are on the treasure. She's counting the gain. And I think that's a good question for us. Who are we like? Do we are we like almost impulsive in our faith, seeing the treasure and going everything? I'll give it all up. I just want it. And more impulsive, or are we more like the man who we don't really know how that story ends? Maybe he decides to walk away and give up all his stuff. But in the moment, he's counting the cost and he's looking at what's in front of him and weighing. Can he afford to lose it? Is it really worth it? And so that's the question I'd like for you to discuss around your table. Who do you think you might be more like? Could you sell everything with joy? Could you give it all up? Or do you think that you are more like the man who's counting the cost and trying to decide, is it really going to be worth it? Um, So take a couple minutes and talk about that around your table. Who do you think you're more like? Go ahead. Um, so I don't know was that hard that's a tough question maybe um, so the good news is maybe maybe I wonder if anyone at your table said this um, Jesus didn't tell all of his disciples to give up everything um, and I wonder did any of you remember that at your tables and be like oh good at least he doesn't tell everybody to do that. <laughs> and so I just have, uh, hold on. I just have, um, I found this quote and I thought it was interesting. In case your table quickly got to that point of like, well, you know, he didn't tell everybody. <laughs> um, so in the uh, Life Application Bible, I love that one. So their note on this was, We should, however, be willing to give up anything if God asks us to do so. If you are comforted by the fact that Christ did not tell all his followers to sell all their possessions, then you may be too attached to what you have. It's just something to think about. (laughs) Okay, so that's our stuff. And um, we're actually going to... 
hit on a few different areas of sacrifice and um, sacrifice just goes so much deeper than our stuff. Hold on a second. I didn't wear pants with pockets. <laughs> okay, so our stuff, um, our possessions, that's where um, really I think that's just the surface level of our sacrifice, right? I think we, we know if push came to shove, right, you'd give it up, wouldn't you? You know the stuff. You're not taking it with you, right? Um, my daughter's in second grade, and they've been studying Africa. And um, so, of course, they're talking about Egypt and ancient Egypt. And they are, my daughter's fascinated with the mummies and had to do a project with the pharaohs and the mummies and the pyramids, the whole thing. And so I, I learned a lot about pharaohs <laughs> during this project, second grade cannot end fast enough, so I have to say. It has been the toughest year. I am so done with homework. But <laughs> anyways, I've learned a lot about Egypt. <laughs> and did you know that those pyramids are tombs? And the reason they mummified those guys was because they thought they were coming back to life, and they had to keep those bodies in tip-top shape. And do you know why those those pyramids are huge? Because they filled them with their stuff. Because those kings wanted to wake up from their dead life with their stuff. Right? And even my second grader, she's only seven, and we're talking about my children, like, no, this is ridiculous. We're not going to wake up. Like, that's just crazy. You're not going to wake up with your stuff. And I think we all know that in our being. Our stuff is not coming with us. So even though it might be tough, and even if materialism is your hardest area, I think at the bottom of it, we know it's not worth it. I mean, we know our stuff, if we're lucky, our stuff only lasts a couple years anyways. And if you're anything like me, you buy like low-quality things just so you can shop again. And... <laughs> I can't be the only one, right? <laughs> but I think when it comes to it, our stuff is really just a matter of discipline. And it, it's a real fight, and we need to like stay on it and, and fight for the discipline of not letting our stuff have a hold on us, um, especially in our culture where materialism and excess is everywhere. We hardly even know the extent of our excess, right? Um, but just just to remind ourselves, I want you to go around your table again and talk about just, I know you know the answers and I know in your core you know, but let's just say them again because it makes discipline easier if it's fresh in your mind. What power does your stuff have on you? Why is it so hard for the rich woman to enter the kingdom of heaven? We need to remember it because we have to fight against it every day. So just quickly at your table, what power does stuff really have in your life? Go ahead. The next area that I want us to talk about that we sacrifice is with people. We have to make sacrifices with our stuff, our possessions. And the reality is, is that we make sacrifices in our relationships, too, with people. And um, now it gets hard. Um, so turn to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Jesus is talking to his disciples at this point. He is sending out the 12. Do you know that part where he's preparing them to like go out and do ministry? And he's like giving them a big, long speech of like kind of to gear them up. Um, 
And it's a lot of like warnings of prepare yourself. This is what you're going to encounter now because now you're, you're my disciples. You're out there doing the work. Here's what's going to happen. Um, so I just want to read a little piece of this. It's chapter 10, verse 34. He said this, Jesus talking, he says, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword for I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So that's that's not really good news, is it? <laughs> um, but how many of you have experienced this? I know I have, right? Like, this is reality. Um, and it's it's a, a painful reality for a disciple. Because um, the fact is, right, we know the more... The more our walk with the Lord goes, the more we become more like Jesus, the more different we are from this world. And um, that's a sacrifice in relationships because it creates gaps in relationships with our unbelieving family members, friends. The gap widens. And um, it's painful when that gap drives a wedge in our families, right? And maybe you have family members that if it weren't if it weren't for your walk with the Lord, you'd be closer. But because you're following the Lord is actually putting space in that relationship because you're different. They don't get us or we don't get them and it's we're just becoming more and more different and it's it's hard. Um There's also the pain that because of our loyalty to Jesus, sometimes we need to walk away from a relationship. Um, Maybe you have friends in your life that you were able to maintain for a while, but as you got more and more like the Lord, really you just couldn't live that life anymore, and you've had to walk away from relationships. Um, There's also, um, I think, relationships that are unhealthy, right, for I'm sure tons of reasons. And then God says, you can't live like this anymore. And that you have to leave those relationships. And it's not because you stopped loving that person or wanting to be with them or even enjoying their company, but you can't be in that relationship anymore. And there's a sacrifice. Where's your loyalty? And because of our loyalty to Jesus, we give up a relationship. There's also, I think, because... As we grow, we insist on holiness in our own lives. And so even you might be willing to stay in a relationship, but that person goes, I can't live with you anymore because it's too uncomfortable for them. And it actually, our our walk with the Lord and our commitment to becoming holy drives people away from us. And we lose relationships because they can't stand to be with us anymore. And there's a sacrifice. And we could choose to fake it or be quiet or act like that person but I think when we choose to follow Jesus it's a sacrifice to be like no our integrity is too important our loyalty to Jesus is too important to do that and it means loss and I know I'm sure you've been in relationships where you've considered can what will happen if you are for real about your faith um there's also, I think, believers have kind of like a different twist on it. We sacrifice often to stay in a relationship where the world would say, 
ditch that husband you don't love anymore or ditch that friend who hurt you or be done with your parents who caused you nothing but grief. You don't have to take care of them anymore. You know, there's all these relationships that the world would say you are free to walk away from. But the word says don't leave. We are to be committed. And there's sacrifice and staying in those tough relationships. And really, it's not that we're sacrificing. We're not really giving something up that's tangible. We're really, we're giving up where the world says you could have a new, better relationship. We're sacrificing maybe that better relationship to stay committed to the relationships that God has given us. And that's a sacrifice. That's not the way the world would say to live. But that's the way Jesus says to live. And so we sacrifice and maybe live in a relationship that's tough. I do have a friend who has stayed in just a really, really painful marriage for decades. Because God called her to stay in her marriage. And she's given up all kinds of intimacies of marriage to stay in that. And it's because God calls us to do it. And the sacrifice is real and it's painful. But in each case I believe that there oh wait, I had another one. There's another sacrifice in relationships. Um, this one is more my story. Um, because of our first priority to go where God leads. And that when go when he calls us, like will you do it or won't you do it? And I mean my husband and I we have just committed. We will go where God leads us no matter what. It's worth it. We'll go. But in going, my family lives, my extended family, my brothers and sisters, my parents were very, very close. And they all live three and a half hours away, which feels like the other side of the world to me. And, but God called us to leave. I was, never in my life did I plan on leaving the Chicago area because I needed my mother. And I needed my sisters. And I made that clear with God that I need them. And... But eventually it was clear he had another plan and we left. And it is hard. And my children, every time we visit, they ask, why don't we live by grandma? Why don't we? And I have to answer it every time why we don't live there. And and the answer is because we go where God tells us to go. And that's a sacrifice is to walk away from people we love to, knowing that it's worth it. It's worth it to me to follow Jesus. Um, But so in all of those cases where there is sacrifice in relationship, um, just because we follow Jesus, he makes a promise. Um, He made a promise about our stuff. He says, if you give up this stuff, I'll give you a treasure in heaven. If you trust me and don't worry about what you have, seek first the kingdom of God, I'll give you everything you need. That he promises to make it up. And there's a promise for our relationships too. In Matthew chapter 19, Verse 21, he says, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or mother or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. And you better believe I have that underlined in my Bible because I hold tight to that, that there's a promise. It is worth it. There's a sacrifice now, but for a much, much greater thing that is coming. It is worth the sacrifice now. So to hang in there, he gives abundantly back what is lost for his sake. Every time he gives it back. 
Um, let's take some time around your tables now. And I wonder, well, I'm sure you have stories. Have you lost a relationship because of your discipleship to Jesus? Have you had to walk away from somebody? Has someone walked away from you and you had to let them go? Is there distance or space in a relationship that you wish wasn't, but it's there because of your loyalty to Jesus? Um, I also wonder, do you have a relationship that you know you need to walk away from? And, you know, do you have someone you need to walk away from? And let's talk about that at your table now. Okay, go ahead. But um, let's move on. There's the next area of sacrifice is is in our personal pleasure and comfort in life. Um, you know, in our pursuit to become holy and be holy as Jesus is holy, we sacrifice the comfort and pleasure of just following our desires. Um, we sacrifice the instant gratification that is everywhere. Everywhere in abundance, right? And we have a lot of desires and a lot of things we would like to have and like to be and we would like to live. And we sacrifice that for Jesus. Um, look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Actually, have it on your note guide in the voice translation. Um, just expands it a bit. It says, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself the things you think you want. You must pick up your cross and follow me. And that just goes right through me, doesn't it, (laughs) to you? If you want to follow me, you must deny yourself the things you think you want. It just cuts right to the core. Um, But there's pain and transformation. Um, Obviously, there's a lot of joy and freedom in transformation and like I think oftentimes we feel that freedom and it feels like fresh air um, when Jesus is changing us and the relief, the burden that's lifted but on the other hand sometimes it's really, really hard and um, transformation, surrender denial of things it's painful and Sometimes, God just changes our desires, right? And he just takes it away. And what, what at one time like captivated us and we needed it and the temptation was great, sometimes it's just gone. And it, it's totally lost its appeal. But sometimes, and maybe more often, he just gives us, I think, Holy Spirit-powered self-control, to overcome it. And that is not easy. That process can be really hard. Um, and the reality is that we could follow our cravings and give into them, and it would feel good. And the consequences, I think, even don't even look so bad. But because of Jesus, we choose to follow him instead and to do life the way he says to do it. Um, there, I read this book recently. It's called Washed and Waiting. And um, he's, um, it's like a memoir kind of book. And it's about a man who is a gay Christian. And gay just meaning he's attracted to the opposite sex. Um, but he believes 
um, that he is to live a celibate life. So this book is really about his journey of living a celibate life and that it's incredibly painful. Um, But what he talks about, I think just really... It's true of everything. It's true of every sinful desire, every worldly thing that we want. I feel like he really captures he really captures it. So I just want to read um, a little bit of it. Um, he says, God most often seems dangerous, demanding, and ruthless as he makes clear he is taking our sinful feelings and actions with the utmost seriousness. Like Cain, we sometimes squirm as we, re- we relate to God. We experience him both as an unwanted presence, reminding us that our thoughts, emotions, and choices have lasting consequences, as well as a radiant light, transforming us gradually, painfully, into the creatures he wants us to be. Then he goes on, and he says, Engaging with God and entering the transformative life of the church does not mean we get a kind of free pass, an unconditional love that leaves us where we are. Instead, we get a fiercely demanding love, a divine love that will never let us escape from its purifying, renovating, and ultimately healing grip. And this means that our pain, the pain of having our deeply ingrained inclinations and desires blocked and confronted by God's demand for purity in the gospel, that pain may actually be the mark of our faithfulness. We groan in frustration because of our fidelity to the gospel's call. In the long run, the cruelest thing that God could do would be to leave us alone in our desires, to spare us the affliction of his refining care. I just think that that is beautifully said and so true that our deepest sinful ways to change them is hard. And it hurts. I just love that picture. Like, But God's love is too great to leave you in it. His love must pull you out of it. Even if it hurts, it will ultimately be healing. Um, Jesus says that we must take up our cross and follow him. That we must put to death our sinful desires. And we always go on the uh, talk about it on the other side of the goodness of it. And um, we know death leads to life, right? And there's resurrection that's coming. And But I, I think we need to not always just breeze by the death part. Because that's where oftentimes we're living. And just to acknowledge that the death that precedes the life hurts. And... Um, it's not the easy process. It would obviously be easier to skip this refining part of our lives. But then we wouldn't be following Jesus anymore. Being a disciple of Jesus means allowing God to transform us, even when it hurts. That's how we become Christ-like. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 2 says, Meanwhile we groan longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we're clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. In Romans 8.13, he says, For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So this is the way to life, obviously. And... Um, 
I think it's okay to acknowledge that there is a death part first. And um, I think anything that requires self-control is a struggle. If you need self-control, it's because the desire is still there, right? Like if the desire went away, you wouldn't need self-control. But we talk about a disciplined life that requires self-control. And that means there is struggle. But obviously there's enough because the Holy Spirit gives us the self-control. It's not anything we're mustering up, right? That's the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. But self-control to overcome our desires and to live a holy life. But just like in the areas of possessions, in the area of people, this is another area where there is a promise. It's worth it, even though it's hard and it's struggle. And we are really, by following Jesus, we're choosing to struggle in things the rest of the world is not struggling in. They're just giving in. They're living in. And they're meeting every desire. And it looks lovely a lot of the time. (laughs) But we're choosing a different way. And we're not choosing it because we like a hard life. We're choosing it for the promise that's coming. We must look at what's coming and why we're doing it. And in this case, he gives us hope that one day we'll wake up and he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and there'll be no more death and no more mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things will have passed away. That's in Revelation. That's what's coming. One day we will wake up and sin will be gone. Our desires will be gone. Our evil inclinations will be gone. There will no longer be a need for hope and self-control. We will have arrived. There will be life on the other side that is not a struggle, but is just wholeness and love. He says only love remains, right? Hope and faith go away because we come face to face with love. And that is what we're waiting for. That's the promise. That's why we struggle now is for what's coming. <clears throat> but now let's let's break and talk again at your table. For what sinful desires are you putting to death now? Where do you groan against the desires of your flesh? Where are you struggling against and sacrificing the immediate pleasure for what is to come? Okay? Go ahead. So I just want to say a couple more things before we move on. I just feel like, um, in case I just stirred up all this stuff that you've been not thinking about, and you're like, oh, shoot, it is hard. You're right. And now you were like came in feeling great, and now you're like, oh, but it's so hard. I just want to like speak to that the hope again that it is real and you're not, you're not in it for nothing. Um, that's what perseverance is, right? We talk about perseverance. If it if it wasn't hard, there would be nothing to persevere for. And I just think of all of Paul's writings that are like fight the good fight, run the race, finish the race, get to the end. And it's all that, like, don't give up. Don't give up. It's hard and it's a struggle and sometimes we fail, but it is worth it to persevere and um just want to read this it's a romans chapter five he says um this paul writing he says we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance perseverance character and character hope and hope does not disappoint us 
because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. And I think hope will not disappoint us, and that's that's what perseverance is for. So don't give up, don't give up, don't give up. Yeah, read it again. It's Romans 5, I started verse 3, 5, 3. We rejoice in our sufferings. I just think we think about that. Even just that little piece of Paul's sufferings was because they were torturing him and they were hunting him down. But sometimes the suffering isn't just living a holy life. And the pain that can go along with that, the sacrifice in giving up our stuff, the sacrifice in losing relationships, the sacrifice in waiting for waiting for the hope that is coming, waiting to be fully alive. And it's we can rejoice in that suffering now because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Okay. So that being said, there's another area. <laughs> it just keeps going. The last area I want to talk about is persecution. And that... Um, So Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says again in Matthew 10, 21 and 22, Brother will betray brother to death, and a father is child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Matthew 10.38 says, Anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So Jesus says we need to carry our cross. And the disciples understood this. Like he was using this phrase before Jesus carried his cross. So I know we think of it and we picture Jesus immediately. But that phrase just meant a road to death. And so they heard when Jesus told them to take up your cross, they heard that being a disciple of Jesus was a road to death. Um, And we've obviously we talked about putting to death our sinful nature and but there's also which we see all over the book of Acts that most of the disciples were killed for their faith. And it's obviously true today. I mean, it is only days ago. And, I mean, for all we know, today, ISIS is killing believers because they will not renounce their faith in Jesus. And we are obviously incredibly fortunate to live in a country where we are free to worship whoever we want. But that ocean is small. And I think the day is... It's closer. The day is closer when, I mean, hopefully none of us will be in that position. But that is not to say that our children won't be. Like, I think that day is coming. And the reality is, is that you may need to give up your life. And we're watching our brothers do it right now, giving up their life for Jesus. So I wonder if you ever really given that any thought. Do you think you could give up your life for Jesus? Um, do you think about that? I just wonder how you process that for yourselves. Um, when I was a teenager, that was talk in conferences and things was, could you give up your life for Jesus? And 
obviously that was like years ago and nothing bad was happening that I was certainly aware of. And now it feels like, well, now the reality is right before us. We're watching it happen. And I think it's something that we should consider. Could you give up your life for Jesus? Would you do it? So talk about that at your table. (laughs) So I think there's really only one reason you really sacrifice your life for Jesus, or really any of these things that you might sacrifice. And I think the only reason that you, you can do it, really, and especially once it starts getting hard, the only way you really persevere in it is if you believe Jesus is, really is your only hope for life. Is he, is he the only way? And um, he says, whoever loses his life will find it. Well, is that true? Um, I believe that we must be just completely and utterly convinced that Jesus is the only way. And I know, like, questions rise up, and I think even more frequently, I know I have them, I'm sure we all. The thoughts pass our mind. Can you be saved by any other way? Is this really it? Um, what if What if we're wrong? And I think those are, I'm sure I'm not the only one who thinks those things. Even if they are fleeting and you know the answer, right? What if there's another way? And I know we think about, look at all the like really devout spiritual people who don't believe in Jesus. Is it really only Jesus? Because you're not going to give up stuff and give up the people you love or give up your life if there's another way. Because then you take the other way. Well, Jesus answers, he answers this a little bit. John 14, 6, you know it. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's John 14, 6. Galatians 2, 21 says... This one, I I just like this. If righteousness could be gained through the law, or really any other way, Christ died for nothing. That if there is another way, if there is any other hope for life, Jesus died for nothing. Why would he have died if there was another way? He would have just said, take that easier way. And so, I mean, I, I believe, and I don't think that... Having a passing thought means you don't believe anymore. It just, you speak into it, right? And the reality is that either it's true for all of us or it's true for no one. If you're in a spot where you're thinking, well, it's true for me, but I don't know if it's really true for everybody else, that means it can change for you. And it could maybe not be true tomorrow. But the reality is, it is true. It's true for everyone. It's either true for everybody or it's true for nobody. And if you're not sure, I'm sure some of us are just really not sure, You, I would just urge you to seek out the truth. Jesus says he wants to tell you and reveal himself and ask him to reveal himself if he is true or not. And I believe he will. Um, I just know I want to be faithful to the very end. If the day comes where it is my life on the line, I want to be faithful to the very end. Um, When push comes to shove, I choose Jesus because I know there is no other life apart from him. I know it. Um, And I believe it's true for everyone.
Um, so sacrifice is just hard, right? This is just the hard part of it. Um, if it wasn't hard, it wouldn't be called sacrifice. <laughs> but the hope is real, and the kingdom is near. And I think what's really awesome about it is that the kingdom has come. That was That's Jesus' message from the very beginning, all through Matthew's. The kingdom is near. There is a peace that is not yet come, that we are in this waiting, tension spot. But... some of it's come already. The Holy Spirit has been given to us as a deposit. He has begun that work in us now. He's transforming us now. He's breathing life into us now. And that is what gives us the ability to wait for what's coming. Um, Romans chapter 8, verse 18, I think, sums it all up for us. Um, It says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. That's what we're waiting for, right? That's it. Um, just want you to talk again as we look at all the, these different areas of sacrifice of our possessions, peop, our people, our pleasure, our desires, persecution. And I wonder which of these areas is God really speaking to you today? I know it's covered your whole lives in the last hour and a half. But I wonder, is there an area that God is really like pinning down for you to encourage you, to ask more of you, to give you strength as you continue to sacrifice? Just around your table, if you can pinpoint one area, one thing that you can take away from this, that you can go into your prayer time and into your week, where is God speaking to you now? Um, So just a couple more minutes to cover that, and then I've got one more thing, okay?